Hello, this is Philip Norville Joe Carroll, author and narrator of The Pariah Podcast. This is episode three, New Friends. The Southern Highway brought Keogh no new challenges in the first few days of his journey. Paved with square, kiln-fired bricks, the road undulated slowly downhill toward the capital, more than 200 miles to the west. The only traffic sharing the road were the occasional coal wagons rumbling to the east. From short conversations with the drivers, he learned they were headed to the southern draw, hoping to find it free of snow and trying to be the first to collect coal mined during the snowbound winter months. He stopped at inns in small villages for meals or a night's rest, or took shelter in a wayshed if the evening grew too late and the next village was too far off. The weather improved each day, and his memory of the first leg of his journey, with its snow and fog, faded with every step. Late winter flowers broke through sun-warmed ground as Keogh began his fifth day on the road. Toe lilies poked their fleshy nubs through thick moss. Some even had their singular green shoots, which would sport a circlet of small golden stars from its tip in another ten days. Around mid-afternoon, for the first time since leaving his home, Keogh recognized the sound of a wagon approaching from behind him. Unlike the heavy coal wagons, this one sang with a chorus of squeaking springs, a wagon designed to carry a human cargo. Keogh heard the wagon when it was still two hundred yards away, glanced at it over his shoulder and kept walking. It would take several minutes to catch up to him, and he didn't want to waste time just standing and staring. He stepped off the road when he could hear the snort of horses behind him and waited on a small berm for the wagon to pass. The wagon had two levels. The upper bed, nearly to the top of the large wooden spoke wheels, had two benches running along each side. The lower, at the height of the axles, was packed loosely with bundles and crates. "'Whoa!' the driver called as it rattled to a stop next to where he stood. "'Hello,' Keogh said with a small wave. Five young people of about his same age sat on the benches and looked down on him with surprise. One of the two boys and all three of the girls gawked at Keogh as if he had sprouted suddenly from the ground and a row of toe lilies poked through his brown curls. The girls were pretty, even with their mouths hanging open and dressed in plain colored shifts of simple wool or linen. Their shifts were very much like Keogh's tunic, though reaching past mid-thigh to just below their knees and some had decorations around the collar. Girls from his village worked in similar clothes, only wearing fancier gowns into Peeker's village on worship days or for other celebrations. From the modest weave of their shifts, Keogh could only guess these girls were from the poorer farms and ranches to the east. One girl caught his interest. She had a heart-shaped face and full red lips, which reminded him of Eva and her sudden kiss the morning he had left. He had thought of that kiss often as he walked along the highway. He had never kissed a girl full on the lips like that before. In truth, he still hadn't, since she had done the kissing. But now, this girl, with her long chestnut hair and winning smile, made him wonder what it would be like to kiss her, to be the one doing the kissing." One of the two boys was similarly dressed to the girls, and his hose were so worn at the knees that his skin showed through. But the other boy had fine hose of bright red. 
He wore an open cloak of a shiny woven thread Keo had never seen before, shiny black on the outside and on the inside shiny red matching his hose. His tunic was a finely woven dark gray with gray piping and embroidery. His leather boots were soft and without heels, the kind used when a person stayed indoors for the better part of the day. He appeared unimpressed with everything around him, on the wagon and otherwise. Boy, are you going to the capital for service? The driver asked, a cheery smile on his large cracked lips. I am, Keo replied. Well, climb on then. You can stow your bundle on the bottom bed. And trust you'll sleep in a bed every night and eat the finest food this highway has to offer. Hearing such an invitation, his feet shuffled as if of their own accord, thinking they would be much happier to ride the many miles that bear every step on the hard paving blocks of the highway. Thank you for your offer, Keo said, but I'm walking to the capital. I'm making good time and should be there before the creature handler selection starts. Now, son, the driver swiveled on the bench seat to turn and face Keo better. I'll get you there. The selection may have started, but it won't be over, and you don't have to pay a single pick. The king's man pays me back for my expenses, so it's good for all of us. Thank you anyway. A ride would be nice. He looked at the girl with a heart-shaped face and thought he could sit with her all the way to the capital. But my bro... My cousin walked all the way, and he told me I should because it comes in really handy when you're selected to be a creature handler. Keo hadn't meant to bring that up, and saw the look on the driver's face change, as others had when creatures were mentioned. So you plan on being a creature handler, huh? Well, a good long walk might just be the thing for you then. The driver turned back to his horses and shook the reins and said, Hang on, young'uns. The wagon jolted forward and was almost past when the nicely dressed boy looked down his long straight nose at Keo and said, Stupid. Keo stood stunned. Never in his life had anyone called him stupid. But it wasn't only the word, it was the manner the boy spoke it. He had said it like Keo was the lowest form of scum on the earth, and that he was so much higher, so much better than Keo. He wondered if the girls had heard the boy speak to him. Would they think he was stupid, only because their traveling companion declared him so? What would the girl with the heart-shaped face think? Would she let him kiss her now, now that he was stupid? Would she even talk to him? What is wrong with me? Keo said and stepped back onto the highway. The wagon was far ahead and the passengers indistinguishable from one another. He strode after it and watched it creep away from him bit by bit over the few hours before nightfall. As the sun set, the wagon, the haughty boy, and the smiling girl were finally lost from sight. The verbal slap still stung and Keo tried to convince himself otherwise. I will ride a tiger hawk. Then that boy can call me stupid all he wants. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I've done. If any of them had seen me the day I flew alone on Selene's tiger hawk, none of them would be laughing now. Not now and not ever. Close to the fourth hour before midnight, Keo climbed the steps to the Horse Hollow Village Inn. His bout of self-consciousness had faded with the light. He knew who he was. The haughty boy did not, and it no longer mattered to Keo. Just through the gate into the large courtyard, the stable doors stood open to his left. Straight ahead, lights shone through the window of the inn's common room. The wagoner's double-bedded wagon stood in the yard to the right, 
near a horse corral. Keo saw movement through the colored glass panes to both sides of the tavern's heavy oak door. Laughter from inside told him many were still awake and in the common rooms. Keo pushed open the door, sat his bundle with others along the entry wall, and hung his cloak on a peg. He spied the tavern mistress at a counter, serving up drinks. He walked over to her, smiling. She looked at him as if a dog had walked in, and with a sniff she growled, "'What do you want?' "'Good evening, ma'am,' Keo said politely. "'I'm on my way to the capital for the king's service. I was hoping there was still some food and a place I might sleep for the night.' Her demeanor changed completely. "'Oh,' she said, with a thoughtful wink of her eye. "'Yes, we have stew in the pot and some loaves of bread. "'All the beds are taken, but you can sleep in the barn if you wish.' She looked around the common room and pointed with her nose, her hands always working, filling drinks and taking coins. "'There's a group of them over there. They're on a wagon to the capital. I'm sure you can join up with them in the morning.' "'Thank you, ma'am. I'd love a bowl of stew, and the barn'll do just fine if there's a corner of loose hay. It might make me a bit homesick, but it's better than sleeping in a ditch.' "'Come from a farm, have you?' A large smile showed mostly yellow teeth and one missing on top. "'Yes, ma'am. Not a week ago. But I'm not riding. I'm walking to the city. They say a soldier has to do a lot of walking.' "'That's true, my boy. And you'll make a fine-looking soldier. I bet the girls will all be after a little time alone with you.' There was suddenly a long wooden bowl in her hand. One end was heaped with thick, meaty stew, and the other held a dark brown oval loaf. Keo took the food nodded his thanks to the woman, and headed for the table where the five wagon passengers sat. No one spoke. They each had a mug of cider before them, some mostly empty, others mostly full. The haughty boy glanced about him with disinterest, while the poorer boy eyed everything with fascination. The three girls all looked wary. Those at the table only looked up at him as his bowl thumped down against the wooden planks. Keo sat next to the wealthy boy, across from the girl who looked like Eva. "'Sorry I'm late,' he said with a smile for the girl with the plump red lips. "'I'm Keo Noshani, from the farms north of the highway, near to the Swamp Hills.' Keo said it like everyone should know where it was, though from their glassy expressions they obviously didn't. He glanced at everyone around the table, but let his eyes settle on the girl he wanted to meet, and asked, "'What's your name?' "'Fiera Dundeen.' from the shelter fields of the southern draw, she said, looking down, biting her bottom lip. When she looked up into his, he saw fire burning there. She reminded him of one of the cats in their yard, who waited patiently to catch sparrows hunting bugs in the grass. It always narrowed its eyes just before it pounced. Shelter fields? he asked, recalling the maps of Highland he had studied in the winter months. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Of course you haven't, Swamp Hills, the finely dressed boy snapped. No one who isn't from there has ever heard of it, because it's on the other side of hell, and only the dull and useless end up there, living in dirt, eating dirt, and loving their cousins in the dirt. None at the table appeared pleased by what the boy had said, but Fiera looked like she'd been slapped. She held her fingertips to her lips. She had a beautiful mouth. "'You seem to know where it is. How many cousins do you have?' Keo asked, trying to keep a straight face." When the boy with the threadbare stockings burst out in a loud laugh, Keo couldn't help smiling. He could feel Fiera's eyes on him, but he kept his on the haughty boy, his eyebrows raised as if he truly expected an answer. The boy didn't answer, 
but narrowed his eyes, and quick as a lightning strike, he shoved Keo's food to the floor. Seeing his food strewn across the floor hurt worse than if the boy had slugged him in the stomach, and the kid knew it. Though his lips showed no sign, the boy's eyes glimmered with laughter. "'You'd better clean that up, or you'll give civil trainees a bad name,' the boy said, and rose from the table with his mug of cider and walked away. "'What's going on here?' a burly man asked when he reached the table. To Keo, he looked enough like the woman who had given him his dinner that he could be a son or a brother. However, while the keeper woman's eyes beamed with motherly understanding, this man's only held stern judgment. "'I'm sorry,' Keo said, slipping from his stool to the floor and reaching for the overturned bowl. Our friend there had too much cider and lost his balance when he tried to stand. Don't hold it against him. I'll clean this up. "'Was that his food or yours?' the man asked. Yeah, unfortunately it was mine. The man turned away as Keo scooped up chunks of meat mixed with straw and dirt from the common room floor. Be more careful, the man said, dropping another bowl of food onto the table and taking the wasted food from Keo's hands when he got to his feet. He didn't get a chance to thank the man before he was away and hidden by the crowd. Keo wasted no time digging into the new bowl of food, scooping up chunks of meat with pieces of the bread. He froze with a bite halfway to his mouth when he realized everyone at the table was staring at him. Sorry, he said, after he shoved the next piece into his cheek so that he could chew and talk. Walking all day makes me really hungry. Are you really going to walk all the way to the capital? the boy asked. No, tomorrow I'm going to start running part of the time, Keo said, tearing into some more bread. And you think you'll be selected as a creature handler? Fiera asked. I think my chances are as good as anyone's, maybe better. I've grown up on a farm, and some people think I have a way with animals that most people don't have. Well, I'm out of luck then. Our own dog won't even bite me, the boy said. But going to the capital will at least get me out of the mines. And if I can learn something, like road building or bricklaying, I won't have to go back when I'm done with my service. The others nodded in agreement. Keo frowned at the large wooden bowl, finding he was down to the last of his bread and a few potato slices. He asked, Are all of you from Shelter Fields? Might as well be, one of the girls who had stayed silent until that moment said. It's all the same in the southern draw. It's the mines or working for Thender or one of the other designates. Designates? Keo exclaimed. Do they run the mines? Yes, and none of them are very happy with it. Fiera said, They send their least favorite child, or cousin, and make them run the mines, while they collect the rewards living on their western estates or in big city mansions. Is that why the Prince of Pleasantness is in your party? Keo asked. Who? Oh, Morden Farnding. Yes, he's the third son of Farnding the Unfavored, Fiera laughed. Stop that! The girl next to Fiera hissed and jabbed her with her elbow. No, Theta, I won't stop. Morden has no control over us now. We're all going into the king's service, so we're all equal, Fiera snapped back at Theta. Until he gets put into leadership over us, and you know he will. All the ranks go to people who already have power, and he's the nephew of a designate, the third girl said. Boric is right, Fiera, Theta argued. It doesn't matter if he is a third son of the least favorite cousin of a designate. When they find out who he is... They'll put him in charge of someone. And if it's one of us, we might as well be dead. 
They say there's almost 13,000 thirds every year, Keo said. Chances are you'll never see him again once we get to Hender's Peak. You really are from Swamp Hills, aren't you, Keo? Theta said. Did you live under a rock out there? Don't act so naive when you get to Hender's Peak, or you may find yourself dead in an alley. Thanks. I'll keep that in mind, Keo said, not really understanding his misstep. Tonight I have to sleep in a barn and not under a rock. I need to get going early. I'll see you when you pass me tomorrow on the highway. He stood and headed for the door. Keo, Fiera said. He thought she sounded annoyed or disappointed. He stopped walking and turned back to her, just a few paces from the door, and asked, Do you need something, Fiera? He hoped she did. He hoped she would walk with him to the barn and maybe spend a few minutes with him in the darkness of the courtyard. She looked sideways at her two companions, who frowned and spoke to one another in gruff whispers. Fiera shook her head and said, No, I guess not. Keo woke to the familiar sounds of milk squirting into wooden buckets. He had made a bed from hay, which he covered with his blanket, and wrapped himself in his cloak. His corner of the barn was cozy and warm. The barn had been dark after blowing out his candle. Now, the glow of a lantern near the milker and cows cast long brown shadows through the rafters of the barn. He could easily fall back to sleep and wait for sunrise, but his motivation to make the next inn, where the wagon would stop for the night, was stronger than his desire to sleep. To the rhythmic hiss, hiss, hiss of the milker working nearby, Keo sat on the hard dirt floor and pulled on his boots. An amazing thing happened when he stood. His feet felt good. The toes of his right foot no longer felt pinched, and the painful blister on his left heel was only a memory. He wasn't exactly sure when the boots had broken in, but now they felt as comfortable as the pair of woolen slippers he received every year on old winter's night. His bundle strapped across his back, he took the back door to the kitchen. The tavern mistress dozed on a stool as cooking staff busied themselves around stoves and ovens. "'Excuse me, ma'am,' Keo said, and tapped the woman on the knee. Her eye popped open as her whole body jerked awake. She looked to the window above the doorway and frowned at the boy. "'Good gods above! What could you want so early in the morning? You should still be dreaming in the hayloft!' "'I grew up on a farm, ma'am. I usually wake up with the cows,' he said. "'All right. If you want to milk a few, you're welcome to it. Otherwise, you'll be underfoot in the kitchen.' "'I need to be on my way. Is there any bread left over from last night, and maybe some cheese?' Keo asked. "'So early? The wagon won't be leaving for hours yet,' she said, and nodded, knowing. "'But you're the walking boy, aren't you?' "'Realia? Fetch our young man a loaf of bread and some slices of cheese.' and wrap some more in a parcel for later. One of several young women, dressed all in white, and her hair covered in a red scarf, bobbed to the mistress, and hurried to a counter to prepare the food. Two boys, who carried full milk buckets in each hand, were crossing the courtyard as Keo buttoned his cloak against the morning chill and headed toward the highway. He ambled along the starlit road, giving his food an hour to settle before he tightened his bundle strap, pulling it snugly against his back, and broke into a jog. The sky overhead had faded from the purple of night to gray when the road dropped into a long, shallow valley, climbing the opposite side before fading into the distance. 
As he reached the bottom of the valley, he was soaked through with sweat. He peeled off his cloak, his wool tunic, and though he felt as if he would freeze in his damp linen under-tunic, he quickly re-rolled his bundle, strapped it across his back, and started off at a jog. A light wind blowing into his face did little to slow him, but helped him balance between hot and cold. He didn't feel winded or overly hot until he reached the crest of the long hill. He looked back the way he had come, expecting to see the wagon bearing quickly toward him. The sun was climbing to mid-morning, and the wagon was nowhere in sight, though he could see two miles or better behind him. He took a quick drink of the fruit cider from a goat-skin flask the tavern mistress had given him, and headed on at a walk. That afternoon, having passed one small village and a way-hut during his run-walk, he chose a flat area in a small grove of trees which looked as if they were planted along the highway for that purpose. From his vantage, he couldn't see as far behind him as he had at times throughout the day. Even still, he could see more than a mile, and the wagon wasn't anywhere in sight. At the fifth hour past midday, the village of Banders Forge came into view. His legs and back were clearly feeling the wear of his new exertion. He could walk the last half mile and arrive at the village before the tavern opened for the evening meal. And yet, he hadn't seen or heard the wagon. It had to be close on him by now. If he ran, he could maintain his lead for sure and arrive at the village inn before them. If he walked, he might be overtaken. Keo's competitive nature won over, and he ran on. At every opportunity to look behind him and check for the wagon's approach, he found himself twisting his neck to look over his shoulder, expecting to see the wagon bearing down on him. Approaching a point where the road wound around a small hill, he craned his neck to check for the wagon and stumbled over his own feet, riding himself at the last moment and avoiding a painful spill on the rough paving stones. He stumbled to a stop, his head spinning, chest pounding, and his entire body aching. There were no trees or pasture fences to lean against to catch his breath, so he leaned on his knees, sweat dripping from the end of his nose. "'What is the nature of your business, young man?' a voice asked. It sounded gruff and wary. Keo looked up. A man of around thirty years stood with a long staff in one hand, his other balled into a fist and resting on his hip. He wore a black tunic with a silver sash, crossing from shoulder to waist. "'My business?' Keo asked, standing erect. The man jerked the staff to his other hand and held it crossways in front of his body. "'Here now,' he said, bringing one foot forward. "'We've watched you running along the highway for a mile now, and before you come any further I want to know what you're running from.' "'Running from?' Keo asked. "'Nothing.' I'm on my way to Hender's Peak to become, uh, for the king's service. I'm fifteen, and I need to be there by the equinox. The city guard relaxed a little, but didn't lower his staff. He said, You look the right age to be heading for the capital, and now's the time of year. But there's a wagon to carry you, and you're running like there's something chasing you, the way you keep checking the road behind you. Oh, Keo gasped and relaxed. I'm racing the wagon. I'm ahead of it now, and I just need to get to the inn before it does. He looked over his shoulder at that moment, expecting to see the wagon's approach, and said, I'm still ahead. Do you mind? I mean, can I go ahead? That's the most foolish thing I've heard in my life. A boy racing a wagon, the guard said, shaking his head. By all means, go. 
I'd hate to be the one to dash a damned boy's hopes of outracing a rotting wagon. The man's voice was thick with sarcasm, but Keo didn't care and took off with all the strength he had left. A hundred yards later, he was through the village gates and no sign of the wagon on the highway. He stumbled back to a walk. The inn was straight ahead, on the main road through the small town. A fountain rose up in the middle of the street, with water in covered ditches flowing off in different directions. To his left, the water flowed uncovered to the largest forge he had ever seen. Furnaces of different sizes formed ranks with the road. Bellows boys pumped at long poles to the squeak of springs and the whoosh of the wind they produced. Hisses came from beyond where hot metal was quenched in oil or in water from the fountain. The mechanics of the various forges fascinated him, and he wished he could stay and watch, maybe learn the craft of smithing. But it wasn't for him. He was to be a creature handler, a tiger-hawk rider, so he turned to the steps of the inn. One last glance toward the gates of the village, and he was assured of his victory. He had beaten the wagon to its next stop. Now he must prepare. In his room, he stripped off his sweat-sodden undertunic. He poured water from a pitcher into a deep basin and washed his face, arms, and hair. After drying with a coarse woven towel, he pulled on his only clean tunic, tied his leather belt, and left his room to skip down the stairs to the common room. He took a table from which he could view all entering the inn. A serving girl brought him bread and slices of meat. He thanked her and winked. "'Save your winks, boy!' she said with a cheerful but demeaning titter. I know you're a service boy and going to the peak. You don't got enough age nor copper to back up that wink. Keo took it in stride. She was right on both counts, but it didn't hurt anyone to wink, and as a result, she'd spoken to him. He had just finished his supper when the group from the wagon came in. The dust of the road powdered their clothes, and they didn't look any more well-rested than he felt at that moment. There were two more boys with them now, and Keo wondered if that meant more competition for Fiera's attention. The two new ones looked to have come from more prosperous families than Prent of the Southern Draw, though not as well-positioned as Morden. The serving woman he had winked at met them at the door, spoke with them for a moment, and then pointed to the table where Keo sat. She naturally assumed they would all travel from there together. That was all right. It would start him off close to Fiera again. Keo stood as they approached and welcomed them to the table with an abbreviated bow. Waving to the table and the chairs around it, he said, Welcome to the inn at Bander's Forge. Morden gaped in astonishment at Keo, as if he had bitten into an apple and found it very sour. The question of how Keo had gotten to the inn before them was obviously too distasteful for the aristocrat to ask. Keo could wait and let him guess a while. Who's this? one of the boys asked only a little less distastefully than Morden looked. "'This is Keo,' Fiera said, virtually prancing around the table to grasp his arm with both of hers. "'He's going to be a creature handler, and he's going to fly a tiger hawk and protect the kingdom from spies and saboteurs.' Keo was distinctly aware of the girl as she squeezed her bosom against his arm, though beneath the sudden rush of excitement he wondered if she was making fun of him. The two other girls laughed with mirth, Print and the new boys looked as confused as before. It was when he saw Morden's face that Fiera's behavior made sense. The boy looked like he would vomit. She had said it to irritate the rich kid. 
But why should he care if Keo wanted to be a creature handler, or for that matter, if he became one? The serving woman stood behind the group, impatience furrowing her brow as she held a large platter of bread, meat, and cheese on one arm and several wooden bowls on the other. Dinner is here, Keo said, drawing attention to the serving woman behind. The youths made an opening for her to place the food on the table. Keo thanked her as if he were a gracious host and winked again. Her eyes were afire in an instant, though not without humor, and she said, I told you about that wink, service boy. She turned away to retrieve the remainder of the food, and Fiera asked with an endearing pout, What did she tell you about winking? Keo sat, and it appeared the rest had been waiting for him to do so. I'm not sure, Fiera. Being from the backwaters of Swamp Hills, I guess I don't understand the proper method of winking. Everyone around the table laughed at Keo's self-deprecation, except for Morden, who scowled at him even more darkly than before. Thank you for listening to the Pariah Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more, stop by my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Joe and see how you can help me produce these episodes and earn some bonuses for yourself at the same time. If you could help me out by going to iTunes and leaving a review, I'd love you for the rest of my life. Any kind of feedback to an author, producer, is more sustaining than food and water. If you'd like to know what else I've written, or am writing, stop by my website at norvaljoe.com or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash philipcarrollauthor. Philip with one L, Carol with two R's and two L's. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.